Channel 33 is brought to you, as always, by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, and our favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. With the SeatGeek mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets with just two taps and have your tickets delivered straight to your phone to enter the event. And if you can't make the event, SeatGeek now lets you transfer tickets to friends or post your tickets for sale all from your phone. That's As good. a special offer to Channel 33 like listeners, SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first, pr- first purchase with the promo code BSPN. To get $20 back off your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code BSPN. Done. Channel 33 is also brought to you today by HBO Now. HBO Now is the new way to stream all of HBO's series, movies, documentaries, sports specials, and more. And there is no TV package required. Download the app on your favorite device to start your 30-day free trial instantly pretty fast i need supports to have to clear the room stand up and walk now hello and welcome to the watch on the channel 33 podcast feed my name is chris ryan i am an editor for the ringer.com and joining me in the studio He's got a whole new accent. It's Andy Greenwald! Feels good to be in the room. Oh, you got a beard. You put on a few pounds. It's true. But it's you're true. back. I talk a little different, <laughs> feel a little different, shoot different things into my body. You got diabetes. Andy is here. My name is Chris Ryan. This is The Watch. You can subscribe to us on the Channel 33 podcast feed. That's iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also sign up for The Ringer newsletter at theringer.com three times a week, at least coming at your inbox. And, you know, just while we're here, Andy, yeah. I know that um, you love golf. So much. I love golf, and my love for golf has only been deepened by the Shack House podcast mm-hmm. with our boys Jeff Shackelford and Joe House. Uh, they have their own feed because it's a podcast unlike any other, it's true. in the words of Jim Nance. Um, please subscribe to that. It's actually a great podcast. Those two guys, I could listen and read a phone book. It is delightful. Can I throw one other thing out here, too? Please Playing, playing Politics Pod is happening on Channel Ooh, 33. Fives and Fifes? Favs and Fife. Is that okay, Joe? Can we can we shout out another podcast that we love? Can we also say that we love Jam Session? Oh, well, first of all, I love Can all... we say that we love The Pivot? I am not shy about my love. I just wanted to call out Playing Politics because our man Fife was on our show. You're taking a little credit for that. No, I'm just saying, like, he's a delightful interview, and, uh, you know, these guys have so many mind grapes about the world of politics. They see they see the entire chessboard. They they know some stuff, and they just drop And it's these. a no-spin zone. It kind of is. Have, has anyone used that before? <laughs> we should... Joe, can we use that as a tagline? That's fresh. Yeah. I just... this is That's my, that's my new favorite podcast that's not about golf. <sighs> now that we got that business out of the way, let's get back to the business of talking about pop culture. Yeah, man. That's what we do. Um, Andy and I were kind of like fishing around for stuff to talk about this week, and, and we, do, we do have a, a sort of a concept that we want to discuss a little bit in a bit. We want to talk a little bit about togetherness, and togetherness is coming to an end. It will be uh, a mutual decision or cancel. depends on how you want to read between the lines there or whatever. But um, then Girls came on last night, and we talked yeah. a little bit about this on the Bill Simmons podcast that, that's also up today. But we kind of wanted to give a little special attention to it because it was a very good episode of television. Yeah, I wanted to say, like, I want to go big picture for a second. Here, yeah, please. Which is man. that... There's, as we all know, there's a lot of TV right now, and I'm not complaining about that, but I do want to say that I have noticed I've been feeling a little uninspired, and I can't tell if it's just because of the sheer volume of shows to sort through, or if it's because I've been down in those viewing trenches so long, and I know you've been down there in the foxhole with me, that one of the things that I've really started paying attention to and championing is a kind of consistency that I think is very hard to do in TV. So I've really been, you know, we've been on the show, when we 
talk, praising things like um, whether it's Better Call Saul or parts of um, OJ, which has just been spectacular. But in general, praising it for doing very TV things. You know what I mean? Like keeping a balanced and consistent tone, bringing characters in at the right time and moving them around. Pacing Pla- a season out Pacing correctly. a season, planning for the future. The kind of, um, you know, it, it's, like, it's like big fundamentals, basically. Yeah. And then you have an episode like last night's episode of Girls, which was called Panic in Central Park. And it was an extraordinary episode of TV. And it was one of those episodes of TV that raises the medium. You know, it, you could make the case that it is, you know, not TV, essentially, because it was a short film, you know, set in the world of girls with, you know, it, it in many ways it was an outlier in the way that that other highly heralded episode of Girls, One Man's Trash, was a few years ago. That's the Patrick Wilson mm-hmm. naked ping pong one. But you, it felt really good to get excited about TV again for that specific reason. Like, oh, it changed the game a little bit. You know, and I felt that way about, you know, Transparent Season 1. I felt that way about the, um, you know, I know I just said it was consistent, but the Marsha Clark episode of OJ. And this was just, this was an amazing thing. It worked from the bones of what the show had given us before, right? But it told a story that was dazzling. It was emotionally gripping. It was beautifully directed. It was really well performed. And it was exciting because it was it was funny and disconcerting and just alive. It was awesome. Counterpoint. Yeah. Don't even know if it worked all the way. Didn't care. It was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Interesting. You know, you can make lots of arguments. So for anybody who just needs the broad strokes of what happened. And, and can I also just say, you don't need to have kept up on the show. I would actually encourage people who don't watch the show to watch this episode. And I'd be curious what their sure. points of view on it are. Yeah. You know, and, and just it, it was a capsule episode. It was, it was focused solely on the Marnie character. Mm-hmm. It starts out with her having a fight with her newly new husband, Desi. Then she goes out for a walk in New York City and bumps into her ex-boyfriend, Charlie, played by Christopher Abbott, who is on the first few seasons of the show and was kind of like a much maligned character well, and left because I think he was like, I just don't want to play this. He left anymore. under very bad terms. Yeah. I think he, he he angered the people he was working with and he basically, he kind of ethered the show a little bit on his way out the door, basically saying that he's not interested in doing those sorts of things. And he, 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 he made a noisy exit right. to the degree that it was a surprise that he was welcomed back or let alone willing to come back. And he shows up basically looking like Shia LaBeouf after like a 4 a.m. slice at Joe's Pizza. Like, like, like yeah, exactly. Like it was a catered movie theater that he had locked himself <laughs> yeah. in for three days. And I, I thought that even if I didn't really, I get, I, I thought it was a very good experiment and that's what i loved about it so even if i didn't find it like entirely convincing dramatically what i did really enjoy was the fact that it took a chance and i think i'm responding directly to what you're talking about with there's so much television and there it is about a variety of different like ideas and storylines but i feel like television is increasingly feeling the same across Mm -hmm. all the platforms whether it's a streaming show or a network show and that they all – it's increasingly like here's the A plot for the episode. Here's the B and C plot for the episode. This is how we're pacing out this 10-episode or 12-episode season or 22-episode season. And that there's really not a lot of surprise. But it is increasingly becoming demanding to keep up with all of the stuff and mm-hmm. to say nothing of the fact that a lot of these shows on different platforms are going for 53 minutes or an hour and four minutes. <laughs> and they feel it. They feel like a good – two-thirds of a movie sometimes every time you sit down to watch it. And if you're asking people to watch two or three shows on a Sunday night, that's a huge chunk of time mm-hmm. and a huge amount of brain space to dedicate to like keeping up with what's happening on Billions and Vinyl and Togetherness and Girls and Walking Dead and then all this other stuff. And 
this completely like it jolted me. I don't know necessarily that it was like my favorite episode of Girls. I've been really enjoying this season of Girls, yeah. but the fact that she would take all that equity that she had built up over the season, all that goodwill, and just like roll the dice with it, I thought was awesome. I wish more shows would do stuff like this. I agree, and this is something that we we talked about on on Bill's show a little bit earlier. But you know, the show. The thing that is worthwhile about Girls, even when it was struggling, and I think I think even the people who made it would probably admit at this point that, that the last season, maybe two seasons, were a little bit hit or miss. Um, the show has never been safe. It has no. never, ever followed a, a, a well-tread path. And, you know, I think there are arguments to be made for and against that. I think the show struggled with being a TV show, which you just kind of have to do. At a certain point, everything bends towards TV because you have to keep making episodes. You have to serialize it to a certain degree. You have to, I mean, TV, the fundamental, um, the fundamental backbone of television is consistency and comfort, whether you're talking about NCIS or transparent. Like, you have to provide something that, that brings people back. Yeah, you come up with like a show Bible, you follow that Bible yeah. chapter and, and verse, you do the things that you know you're good at. And right? Girls has struggled with the TV part of it, having these sort of incredible spikes. And I think one of the reasons we've been praising the show up to this point was precisely because it seemed to have figured that stuff out to a degree that mm-hmm. it hadn't in the past. It was steering the camera away from things that weren't really productive or interesting and mining the show's now, you know, four and a half year history um, for wonderful plot lines like Jessa and Adam. And so... This episode, though, was spectacularly um, sui generis. It was apart from everything else. But it built on a history, yeah. and a, an emotional vibe that had been building over seasons. And I think that was a really remarkable trick. There was a point where when uh, Charlie goes to drop Coke off at the plaza. And it was a great moment. Um, and my wife was like, just... Is this not Charlie? Like, because I think the yeah. guy calls him Brian. Yeah. And there's like a moment where like my wife is like, is this going to be like a thing where Marty realizes this isn't actually Charlie or something like that? Because I can't remember if they I mean, obviously, he knew a lot about her. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. But it, it for a second felt like one of those weird dream episodes. Also, and there was a lot of that kind of quality to yeah. it. Like even the lady in the tramp stuff in the Italian restaurant. And it's kind of cool because. She's like, you didn't used to talk like this. And he's like, well, maybe you're remembering me wrong. And it's like the unreliable narrator thing comes in. The other thing to say about it is that all storytelling depends on contrivance. Sure. All storytelling. The the best, best shows or movies hide it. They hide the trick. You know, everything is improbable and everything has to happen in 30 minutes, right? The the thing that, that this episode took great advantage of is the essential improbability of life in New York City, mm-hmm. where, um, and I say this as someone who still lives there, and you know, and I know you know this as someone who lived there for many years, one of the great allures of the city always is that at any moment, the, the tumblers and the lock can align, and all of a sudden, every door is open to you. And you can cross barriers of, 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 of class, of race, of society, of culture, almost you know, without intending to. And that this episode was so deeply New York in that way, took advantage of that feeling in a way that was really thrilling. I mean, everything from the way she double did a double take to see Charlie sitting yeah, or, there. And, and thinks about, like, she's just going to keep walking. She, and, and she has her own soundtrack. She has her own day going. And then she suddenly is swept up into someone else's day in life to the exact thing you're talking about, where you can buy a dress but still be wearing your sneakers and walk into a plaza, the plaza, where these parties are going on. That's a on. classic Greenwald move. I always walk into the plaza. <laughs> and, you know, my luck with Soviet call girls is, you know, uh, it's been up and down. I've seen the Americans. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of which, shouts to Julia Garner, who played the woman in the end of the shower, who's amazing on The Americans and will be the best person on TV whenever she chooses 
if she, if she chooses a regular role. She was just slayed that one scene. But um, you know, just the, the slipperiness of, of, of a knight allows you to believe fully, not just because you believe in you know the essential artifice of storytelling, but you believe fully that someone's entire life could be um, just just recentered yeah. off of one strange series of events. Yeah. Um, it was very, very New York in that way. And it was very, very suitable for this character that has been kind of a lightning rod in terms of people liking Well, no show is, you talk about the dip over the last two seasons. No show has suffered more <clears throat> from the conflation that I think has happened across like a lot of pop culture criticism. The conflation of like fictional characters being real people. Yeah. And people being like, this person is the worst. Or Lena Dunham sucks because Hannah said this. Yep. And, uh... Whether or not there's some like mild institutional sexism involved in like viewing that show, mild, yeah. uh, viewing those sh- shows through that lens, I think that that's something that it's like kind of afflicting the way a lot of people view television, where it's like, you know, that's not Clive Owen, and that's not what Steven Soderbergh thinks that medicine should be like, you know, and and I think that that's something that really was. Uh, God bless him. What if he was yeah. the anti Jenny McCarthy? He's like, not only should you vaccinate everyone, you should inject everyone with cocaine. Well, if he and was also just like, make sure you do your own own appendectomy, but sterilize it with singani. Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. The key to madness is to take out your teeth. Um. Anyway, the point being is that I think that Marnie was obviously like a very much of a like you're saying a lightning rod of character, and probably I have some in in inherent like i have some bias against that episode just because i don't like watching that character too much but i mean i thought it was just really 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 inventive and fresh and if you're going to watch that much television it's really necessary to get uh to get a shot of something different every once in a while yeah i think that um i think impatience is the other big problem with how we watch tv and how we criticize it and write about it and i've certainly been victim of that too i mean no show is perfect. No show can subs- can can sustain the scrutiny of week to week reviews that mm-hmm. I've certainly participated in, and we do on the show. Um, one of the particular things that has has bedeviled girls is that it, it's a show about youth, right? And youth is nothing else if not inconsistent. And I think when girls has been at its best, it's celebrated that spirit, which has often led to as just as it has for the, as, just as the characters have found themselves in near catastrophic emotional situations. The show has led itself into some catastrophic situations by sort of taking on the spirit of its characters. But, you know, I think the one thing that is important to do is just kind of, and impo- okay, you know, I'll say it's important, but probably impossible, but sort of like a critical reset because I'm going to detour for a second because I know people are loving our, you know, <laughs> 40 minutes on girls. But I kind of want to take this segment, I want to lay another segment on top of it for do a it. second. Do it. It's a little bit of my airplane movies. And I got a point here because, you know, I'm coming out here a bunch, so I'm watching some movies now. Yesterday I fired up The Big Short. And what was my review of it that I told you over text? I liked it. No, I said it was okay. Yeah. But as I was watching it, and this may have been the very generous pours of the Sonoma Chardonnay, which was a little heavy, a little oaky, but it got me through the flight, um, was that you kind of got to think about what movie you're making when you're – what movie they're intending to make when you're watching it. Because one of the problems I had with The Big Short is I kept – you know, being on the bus watching the more interesting stories go by, like the people who are affected by this crisis, like that dude Vinny in um, Steve Carell's office, which is one of the great characters. Right. And I kind of wanted his movie, but the goal of this movie was to take enormous ideas, you know, global global concepts, and 
communicate them in two and a half hours. It was not to personalize it so much or humanize the exp- lived experience of the financial crisis, sure. right? And so that's the same sort of thing, I think, when we look at girls, where people are watching it being like, approaching it, sometimes not realizing what the intent is. And I think the, in, the Lena Dunham's intent, and HBO has been very generous in subsidizing it, is to just sort of chase her aesthetic muse, right? Yeah. And play with this idea of youth and inconsistency and improbability and emotional ruin <laughs> and just sort of see what happens week to week. It's not the same type of goals as, I mean, I don't know how extreme to make the, make the analogy, but like you know, 30 Rock's goal is to make you laugh a lot every 30 minutes, right? Yeah. Or, I, I guess I'm asking for a more personalized criticism, and I, I'm not going to provide it. <laughs> I don't know who is, but it, I, it was something I was thinking about. Um, this is something we mentioned a little bit on Bill's pod, but that one thing that might have centered girls a little bit, aside from the fact that I think girls is still very consistently funny and just like an enjoyable watching yeah, experience. It was funny, too. The end scene with even, Desi yeah, was laugh out loud yeah, funny. But they know when this is over. They're mm-hmm. going to finish this season. They got one more season, and that's a wrap. Um and this leads to the next conversation topic we we're going to have, which is togetherness. Yeah, which is a show that was is now in three episodes left or two episodes left, and I think its entire season, Enti- and entire run, right? Because last week it was announced that um, HBO would no longer be making Girls or Toget- Togetherness, rather. Right. And it got us talking a little bit offline about uh, the idea of c- cancellations, because it's such like a rare thing now, more or less. If a show gets to anything beyond a first season, the train is running enough so that they're like enough. You know what? This is like, especially on streaming and on premium cable, that they're like, this is going. This is why like Showtime shows run for seven years. Like this is a a known product that people enjoy and we can consistently sell against, and we want to keep it going. Starting a new show or like starting a new business is incredibly expensive yeah. and incredibly risky. And you know, you have to, if you think about it just in terms of the TV business, what you're investing in isn't, you know, the 10 episodes that you're going to be seeing in season 3 or whatever of these shows. What the networks are investing in is the consistency and capability of the people making the show. They're investing in these people being like, you know what, you've you've delivered on budget, you've delivered on time. People seem to like it okay, but more importantly, you can keep it moving. Yeah. That has enormous value. And so yeah, the idea what was shocking, okay, we're shocking, whatever. I want to be clear that the idea that a show that is predominantly about two 40-year-old men making a puppet show inspired by the spice worms of Dune was canceled, this is not a shock, okay? Like, it's a niche show, yeah. It is a good show, but I was not no, shocked. No, it, it's a niche show. It's a and niche it, show. it is very good, though. I think, I think it has like very and, good performances. And we, should, we yeah. will talk about that. But I wanted to say that what struck me was the idea of something being canceled felt yeah. almost um, outdated for the reasons you're saying, that things just kind of run – you know, like if Friday Night Lights had started now, and we're coming up on like ten years of since Friday Night Lights debuted, yeah. <clears throat> people have to remember, like ten years ago, it was like a week to week process as to whether or not there would be another Friday Night Lights, and now it's kind of looked at as one of these beloved, yes, the most beloved, like one of the most beloved shows of like the last twenty it, years. But it was pretty much that and The Wire. I remember just sort of being like, I wonder if that's the last episode of The Wire. When, you know, it, it was a constant yeah. fear, and there was always this thought that, like, what can we do, even though we couldn't really do anything sure. to support this, get the word out? Um, and, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit with um, in my podcast with the showrunners of the Americans, yeah. because those dudes, that show has 
bridged the gap of eras in TV. Because season one, not very high rated. Season two, there was a, appeared to be, from the outside anyway, a legitimate question as to whether it would get renewed. When I sat down with them two weeks ago, they basically said, well, we're in conversations as to whether it's going to end in five or six. They're completely confident they're going to be able to tell their story. Yeah. And it actually seemed like the network wants more. You know, that's an amazing thing because what they're investing in is our metrics that are not the traditional ones. I think another show that kind of went through that process was How I Met Your Mother, where mm-hmm. for a while there in like around season five or six or maybe even before then it was like, it's kind of off for CBS's brand. Are they going to keep doing it? Are they going to keep doing it? And then all of a sudden it turned into just like this kind of a hit show for them yeah. that they were I the, uh, up to the point that they were basically going to do a a sort of spinoff of it once it was over. The other thing that'll, that sometimes happens is that survivors, um, you know, they the world that they leave behind is very different than the world they came in on, where sure. Park, Parks and Rec was almost canceled countless times, and then when it finally went off the air in this glorious finale, you know, on its own terms, NBC would kill for those ratings, the ratings that it was killing itself over for seven years, um, just because the margins have changed so much and, and the, the, you know, the, the competition has gone up. But... Um, yeah, but it was it was a surprise. I guess what, when I heard that Togetherness was ending and it was announced, my assumption was that everyone was blowing it out of proportion because things don't really get canceled. That this clearly was some sort of like agreed mutually upon, agreed yeah. upon end date. We've reached a fine place, you know, blah blah blah. Um, Mark Duplass's public comment since the show's cancellation suggested maybe that wasn't the case. That they had every intention to do more. So that would be very interesting to find out about what actually went on. But you know. I, I guess I would say two things. One, it feels odd to think of anything going away full stop at all anymore because everything is always being rebooted. There's always a, there's always another soft landing. Like, you know, Mindy Project falls off of Fox and goes on to Hulu. Like Gilmore Girls is coming back. Gilmore, like, yeah. And Gilmore Girls is coming back. Right. So it's very odd to think that something might actually go away. And for the most part, the things that actually go away are the ones that are caught up in the aspects of business that don't, work like Hannibal if Hannibal was on Netflix it's hard to imagine it having gone away exactly but But the properties that it involves whether it's like international production companies the rights to the Thomas Harris novels what rights they have to which characters yeah if you look at bubble shows on whatever network be they network broadcast network or cable and you want to know whether their odds are high or low of them continuing look who owns it Mm -hmm. that's really all you have to do if um you know the reason why Halt and Catch Fire, a show that I think we both really like now and you know, had a terrific second season, despite minuscule ratings, the reason it's coming back for season three is partly because AMC believed in it creatively and wanted to, be, wanted to have a critically adored show, but they own it. And once you own a show, I'm not saying they're reaping enormous profits off it, but they're not losing them. And any potential profits in streaming things that haven't been invented yet. I was reading an interview with uh, Sam Catlin, who's running Preacher, the Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg adaption of that beloved graphic novel, Garth Ennis. The Garth Ennis Vertigo comic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Coming out of And he was saying that in his initial conversations with Seth and Evan, that it was like really fascinating because they didn't know anything about like making television. (laughs) And that he was like, here's the thing, guys, like, what are you going to do with the sets? You know what I mean? Like, whether or not it's. Deadwood or Halt and Catch Fire or Friday Night Lights, like you can only build so many sets and you can only, you know, you can move around a lot, but you can do different things with different sets. But once you 
build mm-hmm. a set, you can't just destroy it and, and then move on. And build like, another one. It's yeah, just not exactly. budgeted that way. The and time it, isn't there. That's the same thing, I think, like what you're saying. I'm sure that it's the same thing for these shows. It's like once they've built all this stuff and mm-hmm. paid all these people, that's an investment. Yeah. And you want to get an ROI. It's interesting. The, the In the conversations I've had with people in the industry about Preacher – the which have been very people are the generally positive buzz. I haven't seen any of it yet. I think some people saw the pilot. It was like one of the yeah South by Southwest. But what was interesting, and this is very telling, the concern wasn't that Seth and Evan like like they're my friends, but like <sighs> so that Seth and Evan could deliver a cool pilot based yeah. on this world. The real question was whether they could direct the second episode because you do a pilot, you know, you have fourteen days, twenty whatever to shoot it. Second episode, that's TV production. You mm-hmm. have seven days. And can you adjust? And apparently they could. But that was sort of an interesting insight into the thinking behind it, um, which wasn't really about whether, you know, the makeup they did for Arse Face was accurate. <laughs> um, it was really more about just getting it done. Okay, so that brings us to the togetherness thing. And let's talk about the show itself in yeah. a second. But before that, I, I just was thinking about the business model. Someone tweeted this at me when it was canceled saying, doesn't this go against what you were had been saying about how these networks mostly need to build catalog? Right. And which was the idea that, you know, what, what's, what's value for a company like Netflix and now us, you know, transitioning to more and more over-the-top subscription company like HBO is you just have to have perpetual stuff in the hopper that gets people coming back and keeps them there and paying the monthly fee. I think that togetherness fell into this uncomfortable valley, basically, where if togetherness was on Netflix, it absolutely would have a third season. If it was on Hulu instead of casual, it would absolutely have a third season. But it's not noisy. You know what I mean? It's not – I think HBO is in many ways is serving two masters because it's, it's transitioning to that Netflix world. But it also – it's still it's still HBO, man. It's not TV. And it might just not be noisy enough yeah. to, 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 to guarantee its spot. Because you know, one of the other things always about HBO is it has the biggest development pipeline and only programs on one night a week. So if you're not holding your spot on the corner – if you're not, you know, going from season one to two like Silicon Valley did, you actually – it's open season. Do you think it's that the show itself and its concept wasn't noisy enough or do you think it was something about like what they did with it once they had the concept? It's a good question. Because I, I think that there's a lot of <laughs> – we joke about this, but um, midlife ennui mm-hmm. in uh, Los Angeles is well-documented right now. It's pretty well-tread terrain, yeah. Yeah, flaked, love – you're the worst togetherness casual casual like transparent transparent i mean these it's it's really like it's its own genre well trodden ground someone called them tromedies tromedies um i agree i i also got this vibe and which is that the show had some spectacular highs you know amanda pete's performance i think steve zissis has been great i think there's some moments that are just so keenly felt and emotionally raw that it's really revelatory and awesome um but I also started to think that maybe those things, mining that particular mine, that's what the Duplass brothers do. Yeah. And this is the story. But the, their ability to find those, quote, unquote, real moments, I don't think that goes away. That's their skill set. So they could apply them to other shows and other characters and other worlds, you know. So I don't feel like I'm mourning this show that much, even though I really, really enjoyed it. I think they still have a deal with HBO. They're making movies for Netflix. They're just, they produce, they produce. Yeah. So this one was a... This was a good one, you know. I, I think that this season has struggled slightly. We only talked about the premiere, um, which had this spectacular scene with Amanda Peet and Steve Zissis. But, you know, the, 
there are still moments that are just amazing. And then there are moments where one of the major plot lines is they're doing puppets based on Dune. You know what I mean? Like, or Amanda Peet struggling to change a diaper. And she struggles a lot with She the struggles. <laughs> and and I, that's hard to make the – or the charter school stuff. Like, obviously, specificity is what makes all good storytelling. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of hard to make the case that this is as universal or as compelling as other things. Like, I, I think they had a hard – they didn't have a harder time this year. But by removing – the thing that fueled the first season was this weird surprise flirtation between Pete and Zissus' character. This season moved that apart, right? Yeah. I, mean, I assume they're going to come back together in some way before the season's over. It's right there in the name of the show. But with that gone, it did fall back on some of the more predictable stuff that I, you know, boy, changing diapers are hard. Kids yell sometimes, you know. Yeah. I like Katie Asselton as a, you know, as a fancy bee. There's something to be said about what you're talking about here, though, man, because it's like, how much do you go to television to see a reflection of your own life? And how much do you go to television to have a little bit of escapism? Right. Um. I was kind of thinking about this with Saul a little bit because mm-hmm. I was like, this is when it's like a 40 minutes about like, you know, deep doc review, deep doc review and like edits on somebody's. I'm like, I know all about editing. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's I don't your life. Yeah. I don't need highlighted like house style, like what comes after a period, like two spaces after a period or not. For me, it's escapism to see people in a beautiful craftsman house, you know. In, uh, well, I and I love Saul. Like, I love where they I think, Eagle Rock. They're in, I think they're in Eagle Rock. Yeah, I'm not sure. But you know, like with it's just a sometimes I'm sort of surprised, but I think that like I watch a lot of these shows and I'm really into it, but then that's maybe one of the reasons why like I'm blind to vinyl's faults. Because it's it's just pure escapism. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I I just I I, I don't know. I, I get I I feel like I'm arguing against myself in some ways here because I really like the show. I will really miss seeing Amanda Pete, you know pop off like fourth of july firecrackers yeah. every week she's yeah. so amazing on the show but there's a lot of tv man and as you said this is well-trod terrain and it's hard to get exercised about it i wish there was more but there's so much of everything well so it's it's basically the democratization of all this stuff if that's what you want to call it where, where there's so many different outlets and there's so many different opportunities i don't know that we have reaped the benefits of it yet where we're like i i don't know if we, we are like you could really say that this has produced another golden age no but there are these golden moments and i think that goes all the way back to what i was saying at the beginning of the show about um you know find maybe being a little bit uninspired by the consistency because there's a scene in the episode a couple of weeks ago on togetherness where they go back to detroit and there's this nighttime bike ride yeah and that seemed like something that might well be happening in in you know uh resurgent detroit and <laughs> i mean that seriously like that that's a you know there are a lot of uh time style pieces about how like you know people are really getting creative there mm-hmm. very patronizing pieces um <clears throat> but the but the bike ride like that was a beautiful sequence yeah and it was sort of it was wonderful filmmaking and it was exciting and it was exciting in the same way the spaghetti eating montage to casey veggies was on girls last night yeah but these are moments and it's very hard to string together transcendent moments into Eight episodes, 10 episodes, 22 episodes. Um, Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and talk about Batman. Let me talk to you a little bit about Sling TV. TV has never been better. If you listen to our podcast, you know that's the truth. But it's also never been more expensive. With all the contracts, equipment fees, and installation fees, it feels like you need to take out a mortgage just to watch your favorite shows. What's up with that? It's expensive, man. There's a better way. It's cheaper, too, and it's called Sling TV. This is a new streaming service, and it's the best way to watch your favorite shows live, like The Walking Dead, Comedy Bang Bang, Children's Hospital, Andy Tribeca, Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Bates Motel, and more. Quick question. Sure. Can I watch The Americans that way? I'm not sure. 
for the for just 20 bucks a month sling tv brings you uh more than 20 live channels including amc so yes it's on fx oh you how little respect you have for me in this for just 20 bucks a month sling tv brings you more than 20 live channels including amc espn adult swim a and e ifc and most importantly this month tnt tbs and true tv so you can watch live basketball shout out to villanova you can also add channel packs like Hollywood Extra, which includes Epics, Turner Classic Movies, Sundance TV, and more, just five for five more dollars a month. There's no installation, no extra gear, no annual contracts, and no BS. With Sling TV, all you need is an internet connection and a high tolerance for awesome. Start your seven-day free tra- trial at sling.com slash 33 for the best live TV on your desktop, mobile device, Roku, Fire TV, or Xbox. Restrictions apply. We are also brought to you by Simply Safe. Would you ever pay for something that makes your life worse? No, of course you wouldn't. But that's exactly what these big home security companies will force you to do. First, they'll get you to buy one of those old wired systems, and then they'll drill a bunch of holes in your wall to install the thing. And if you aren't happy with the results, guess what? You stole all them thousands of dollars because you signed a long-term contract. What's up with that? If you're looking for a security system, go with Simply Safe. Simply Safe got rid of everything wrong with the home security industry. No drilling, it's wireless, no long-term contracts because it's no hidden fees, and you'll never be stuck paying for something you don't want. And with 24/7 monitoring, it's just $14.99 a month, three times less than most security companies. Visit simplysafe33.com to get a 10% discount just for listening to the show. That's simplysafe33.com. We're back. Gotham's finest. It's the dawn of justice. Um, Andy, you know, some people have did tweeted us and they were like, we got to hear your takes. Mm-hmm. And I am uh, did not see Batman versus Superman. You want to um, ask me if I saw it? I know you didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't on Damn a plane. Damn right I didn't see not, it. Not yet on planes. Um, so here's what I want to offer the people as opposed to like a review. I mean, like here's a, I haven't seen a movie get this, um, torn to pieces in a while yet still make a lot of money. So I feel like what I think of it is not really going to impact anybody's decision on whether they should see it. And you're going to think what you think. I wanted to say this. I'm kind of over like spoilers now. Like I just, if I'm, if I'm, especially for a movie like this where I'm not really dying to see it, I'm happy to read about it. Sure. And so I've been actually reading a lot about Batman versus yeah. Superman, and a lot uh, of stuff in there. Read a lot of Rich Zack text. Snyder interviews. Yeah. Interesting guy. Uh, he? <laughs> yeah, he thinks so. He fucking hates Superman so much, and that's a really interesting thing uh, for a director of the super of a Superman movie to yeah. feel. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of when J.J. Abrams came off of Star Trek Into Darkness, which was kind of a mess, yeah. right? And then got Star Wars. And was off Star Trek and was just kind of like, I was always been a Star Wars head. Yeah. And Star Trek was never really my bag, which had actually always been the knock when he got the gig in the first place is some true Trekkies uh-huh. were like, this guy doesn't really like, seem like he gets it. And this is seemingly playing itself out over again in this Superman, Batman thing with Zack Snyder, because he is so hard up for uh, Samurai Batman. He's hype on that. Yeah, he's, he's so into he, it. He loves a you know warrior queen. He wants Wonder an Woman. old fascist Batman. He's super into fascism, is what you're saying. But he's like, yeah, Superman, like we, whatever. He, he piggybacked to yeah. get this movie. To he used Superman to get there, and and, and that is a huge. I'm I'm not a true soup head, but <laughs> but that's a bummer. Yeah, and it's it. The hostility he seems to have, not only for Superman, but for people who've seen the movie, other people who are major figures in Superman's like narrative, right, uh, is really surprising. Like, and, like the Jimmy Olsen character. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I mean we've we've talked about this before. Like, 
if 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 our show is about like watching business bottom lines, like corporate corporate uh, output for the year, you could justify Warner Brothers' decision to be like, well, Marvels are kind of funny, so we'll just get, we're just going to be totally serious. get that. I get why they want to differentiate, and I totally understand that that Nolan was for the most part grounded in reality or at least like real world physics. So you want to do a little bit more of a comic take on it? Sure. Comic, like in comic book, the, the, not comic. The idea comedic. that the people, that the DC heroes, unlike Marvel heroes who are fallible, the DC heroes are gods. So you yeah. need to do something on that scale. Yeah. The problem, I think, is is that, you know, the reason everyone, the reason there were so many successful Batman adaptations is because he is kind of an old fascist. Like that's that's often the version of the character that translates. And so that is easily translatable by male directors frankly you know and and who want to make blockbuster movies the thing about superman is that superman is like is is light is joy and happiness and you know like the most it's it's an immigrant story and i don't think you're ever going to really do better than what richard donner did frankly and you could do better than special effects but that was that was a it was a light romantic comedy do you think it's just a world that wouldn't accept like a corn fed just truly good hero like that i think that it would be worth trying because that has never been done. It yeah. hasn't been done in, you know, in many, many years. And, you know, all of these companies are just totally feeling screwed now because of, because of Deadpool, right? Which yeah. we didn't see. And I have no interest in seeing. And I, frankly, I think the idea of being like, well, we can still do all the I, same I saw shit. Deadpool. Did you like it? Yeah, it was enjoyable. But the same shit we were always doing, but now we're going to make fun of it is being popular. Deadpool just didn't feel like I didn't have to like it. I literally feel like I have to pay my taxes because I'm going to see Batman. Like that's in right. my mind. I, that's about his. Yeah, exactly. So if you made a story, and I said this before, I'll say it again. The best Superman story I ever read was Grant Morrison's All Star Superman. It's twelve issues. It's collected. You can read it. It's this beautiful pop art retelling of basically all of Superman's stories, and they're light and they're bright, and I feel like people might want to see that, you know. And instead, this crushing heaviness and darkness. It's kind of getting old. And it's why I haven't watched Daredevil season two either. I mean, I'll spread the the, the negativity around yeah. here um, between the companies. Um, it's it's a bummer. I mean, I, I'm I'm also torn because in general these movies are, and frankly, should be children's movies. Now, some children's movies are good for adults too. They're entertaining. These are people playing with toys, and I feel like that in and of itself. I wish people were more willing to like let go a little bit, but people love these toys. And it would be nice to see what could happen with someone who truly loved them, not just as a means to an end or as a means to blow stuff up, right? Like, I, I just, I cannot think of a movie that seems more unappealing than Batman <laughs> v Superman. I mean, I'm being completely honest. It seems just abhorrent and just punishing. And I, I no podcasting network or any media entity, I think, could pay me enough to see this movie. No matter if, even if I was on a plane <laughs> with a nice, more Chablis-like, crisp California Chardonnay. I'm being I'm being very serious here. You would have to be completely blotto on a plane to, to see this. I just it just seems like work, right? It just seems like work, and frankly, it seemed like work to people in it too. There's that that, that video of Ben Affleck just sort of yes, yeah, sadly, we wrote about that today in the newsletter. It's heartbreaking. Wrote about it. You yeah, know? I, I don't know what they were thinking, but you know, frankly, it's it's cynical. That that's the thing. Like we all want to believe that there's room for. Not just in a Superman story, but in the business in general, that there's a world where it can be hopeful and not just this crushing assembly line of commerce. And the truth is, whatever concerns people may have had aesthetically about Zack Snyder were washed away in the tide of greenbacks that just washed over 
Warner Brothers this weekend. I will be fascinated to see if they cut bait with him, though. He's doing Justice League, isn't he? Part one. Well, well, part one of nine. But here's the other thing. Let's remember this. We were saying this about TV, that that companies invest in managers who can get stuff done. Zack Snyder's delivered. That's sure. all that matters. So they're not going to cut bait with him because A.O. Scott you know, wrote a withering review of him in The Times. Nor should they because criticism exists separate and apart from that. Great review, by the way. But you know, it, they're also not going to start over again. There's a uh, – he did some interview where he was talking about Jesse Eisenberg's um, like audition. And they yeah. had initially brought him in to play Jimmy Olsen. And he was like, I just think that that's like what people would expect is for you to play Jimmy Olsen. And he like was like, yeah, I guess so because like – because I'm a nerd. And he's like, yeah, you're a nerd. And then, like, they kept talking. And then he's like, and then I turned to my wife, who's, like, his producing partner. And I was like, wouldn't he make a great Lex? And they and they made him into Lex Luthor. He's like, because originally Cranston was going to play it. Or, like, that's who was up oh, for that's it. interesting. And he was like, wouldn't that have been a different movie, man? Apparently a better one. People are not super into <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, you know, evil supervillain. Yeah. Um, it's just the the other thing, and we can we move on from it since we haven't even seen the movie. Is there is there a villain called Darkseid? Yeah, that's where this is all. Because the way it's to. spelled is like Darkseid. Yeah, first of all, say that again. <laughs> yeah, because I just you said imagine. that like W C in the mad circle. People being Dark like, Darkseid, Darkseid. First of all, someone needs to do that mashup. It would be terrific. <laughs> but there was a really good piece. I think it was in in Vulture, um, and and I I'll, I'll I'll tweet it if I was wrong about that. But basically saying. The real sin of this movie being essentially a delivery vehicle for the next nine movies is that it's a compressed timeline because you can watch the Marvel Universe, which we are, you know, we generally like more. Mm-hmm. And there is room for a side story. There is room for Winter Soldier. There's room for Ant-Man or whatever. There's room for Guardians of the Galaxy. They've had time to build the goodwill. Yeah, it was also that's it, it wasn't it wasn't it like didn't also start at a two and a half hour right. fart. Iron it Man started with Iron Man. <laughs> Iron Man one and Iron Man one didn't end with with Josh Brolin in purple makeup going one day in the next two <laughs> Do decades. Do you bleed? Yeah, that's, Dark Side. <laughs> Dark Side. They had no. They, they have to start doing that now. Yeah, and you know, like there's this. The fact we're living in a world where, like, Vanity Fair is this, like has a blog post where it's like, were you wondering who the flying demon crickets were? <laughs> well, let us explain it to you. You know what? Pass. I'm good. I'm good with that flying Bring togetherness back. Bring it back, man. Who were um, the cricket people in that? Let's wrap up. I know that you wanted to you – know, last week sucked. Yeah. Uh, so last week we lost Fife Dog and Gary Shandling at the end mm-hmm. of the week, and Bill spoke – Really eloquently, I thought, in his Duchovny pod, pod on Friday. If you haven't heard it, you should really check it out. About um, his relationship to Gary Shandling's work and um, just how important Larry Sanders was to him. But I know that you were like, I, I really wanted to talk oh, about this a little bit. It's just that you know, I don't think I can do as good a job as, as Bill did about that. And many people who, who knew him and who loved his work even more than I did have, have said amazing things. But I was just really moved by the latter part of his career because we we you know we watched Larry Sanders I remember when he was like the host of the Grammys like mm-hmm. he was the hot comic was he going to get a late night show and then he kind of faded a little bit from mainstream view and part of that is just you know I think it's awesome he was like I did one of the best sitcoms of all time I'm good yeah but a lot of the stories that were written about him in the last 15 years were really more about his role as a mentor right that like people would go play <laughs> basketball at his house and um or hang out with him. Yeah, he, he would was, do like Judd Apatow, Ryan Adams shows at Largo, and yeah, it and seemed he, like he was like a like a sensei. He was all just doing guys. all this work yeah. on himself with therapy and like boxing, and there were these profi- great profile in GQ about that, and culminating in one of the best episodes of Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which is a show I really really like. And I was just thinking about 
that not just the role that he played in the lives of people that we like and yeah. admire and that being a huge loss but the way comedians sort of serve this role in our society that I don't know if we appreciate enough is they're like they're the aging ronin basically of the world like it actors are celebrities and that means freezing yourself in a certain way and freezing yourself off from the media but comedians their subject matters themselves and they don't need anyone else to do their thing yeah so the way that they age becomes very, very moving. Well, this is actually a really good point, what you're making. And we mentioned Brian Raftery on last week's podcast, but Brian wrote a really interesting piece in Wired about the new economy for comedians mm-hmm. and how you have to have like a podcast and do a live yeah. show and do all this different stuff. Whereas before, I think it was a very streamlined and obvious, like you do comedy, you get a special off that special, you get a show that's like loosely based on your comedy and your life. Yeah. And you do that for 10 years and you're golden. And now it's this inc- totally new thing. And Gary Shandling is sort of a, was it was a sort of last marker of the, that older time, like Seinfeld and like, you know, Tim Allen or a couple other people, you know, or I mean, but Chris Rock is part of this too, where there's this fraternity and unfortunately it's mostly a fraternity, although there's certainly some element of sorority there. It seems like Shandling was incredibly supportive of female colleagues and comedians that he was a fan of. But, um, you know, they're just, they're funny people and their humor, that humor doesn't go away, but mm-hmm. their perspective does. So like to watch these people on like the Seinfeld show, just sort of be alive in their present and still be in touch with it in a way that, you know, we bemoan musicians for losing touch with that or um, actors or writers, directors. But it was interesting to watch that. And I, and I also watched the, the Nora Ephron documentary yeah. on HBO this weekend, Everything is Copy, that her son made. And it, was, it reminded me of Shandling in that way, too, that she was this just ringleader and sensei figure for so many people in ways that we don't appreciate. But we were given a little bit of window into that, just the way that being a creative person is not just what you put out there. Yeah, like the benevolence you can show other people. And being creative is a full-time job on yourself, too, yeah. if you want to be able to be in touch with it and make good art. But so if you look at Gary Shandling's IMDb, you're like, okay, well, Iron Man two or whatever, the last 10 years. I mean, years. like Town and Country is like this huge flop, you know. But his work is not measured that way. And I feel like that's no, what the not. sort of emotional outpouring we saw reflected. But Nora Ephron too, it's like, there's a part in the documentary where they're like, well, then she made mixed nuts. And then she rebounded with Julie and Julia. And there are moments in like the, Ju- the Julia Child stuff in that movie that are really good yeah. and really entertaining and moving. But it's not about just that, even though we become increasingly focused on just the output. It's yeah, about the totality we, we, of the yeah, creative we life. Look at, I think we look at imdb pages like they're the back of baseball cards or like yeah, a page right. on basketball reference where it's like so what is if you do this and i i i love doing that i love looking at runs people had and dips people had and mm-hmm. when they fell off and when they came back and all this stuff i mean but when you do something like larry sanders you get to eat out on that yeah and then for the rest pay, of your life but then you pay it forward <laughs> yeah sure exactly and you have a but hand it, i think we forward. were quick to forget you know what I mean? I was thinking about this with Kadams, actually, Jason Kadams, because The Path is coming next week, and I think we'll talk about that next Monday or mm-hmm. something. But that guy made Friday Night Lights. He's yeah. good. He's fine. Yeah. He's <laughs> fine. He's worthy of our attention, and often the mistakes and misfires are as interesting yeah. and worthy of our time as the successes. Uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thanks for listening to The Watch. Channel 33, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Make sure you sign up for the Ringer newsletter. I will talk to you next week. Great job, Bradsky! Dark side! Dark side! This podcast was sponsored by Sling TV. TV has never been better, but with all the contracts and equipment freeze and installation fees, it feels like you need to take out a mortgage just to watch your favorite shows. And there's a better, cheaper way to get the shows you love. Sling TV. For just 20 bucks a month, you get 20 live channels, including AMC, ESPN, Adult Swim, TNT, TBS, and Troop TV for that final four watch. 
Start your seven-day free trial at sling.com slash 33 for the best of live television on your tablet, phone, Roku, laptop, Fire TV, or Xbox. Some restrictions may apply. Thanks again to HBO Now for sponsoring today's episode. HBO Now is the new way to stream all of HBO. There's no package required. You get all series, movies, docs, sports, specials, and more. Just download that app for your, on your favorite device and start your 30-day free trial instantly. You should do it. <laughs>